Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Cold Pop Show podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch or get two extra exclusive podcasts a month, then please consider becoming a patron and joining us at www.patreon.com forward slash Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boys, and what's better than your boys? What's better than this? Guys being dudes. <laughs> yeah, this is what guys being dudes is. Not not playing, playing American football. It's podcasting. No, it's podcasting. It's, Agreed. it's stating your worthless opinion and <laughs> uploading it um, so that people can listen to it at no cost and then complain about the fact that you have a podcast. Um, so, if you listen to our last uh, non-film franchise Fortnite episode, you will know that we discussed the what is the best sequel, and we wanted to discuss. Uh, we're not talking about what's the best film that is a sequel. We're talking about what's the most pure sequel. And today we're doing the same thing, uh, but we're doing it with prequels. So, a prequel. AJ, do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, I would love to, Richard. Um, a prequel is a type of sequel. Um, it's a category of sequel that is set before a the first film or the previous film or a previous film. People know what a prequel is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's the opposite of a sequel. Yeah. Um, so a- anyone who knows a little bit about like movies and, and media and stuff like that will know that the pool to choose from for prequels is vastly smaller than sequels. So yeah. uh, last week we had a big sort of list of clarifications or um, rules mm. that a sequel, a, the, the purest sequel must abide by. Uh, this week it's slightly different. So the one kind of like clarification, I guess, that is important to both you and I is that the prequel must be designed to be watched after the original. Yes. Uh, and yeah. also on in a similar note, uh, what's an example? Um, Spider-Man one is not a prequel to Spider-Man two. That's yeah. the wrong yeah. terminology. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, a prequel needs to be watched after the first film. It needs to be designed to be watched after the first film uh, for what it, you know, whatever purpose it's supposed to serve. Mm. Even just like chronologically, it came out after. It's not like, like if, if there's two movies, I think that like, it doesn't matter what order you watch them in. Like, like you know, you could watch this one first and be fine, um, but it came out afterwards. I think that's enough of a reason. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Because often, you know, they'll make a prequel, and it's like, oh, you can, well, you could watch this one first, but and it would still make sense. But yeah, anyway, um, it's so- more, it's more about uh, keeping plot twists or developments intact. Um, I, we talked when we did the Hobbit episode of film mm. franchise Fortnites, we talked about this how like 
so many, so much of what a prequel can do. Um, this is another rule. We'll we'll go over the sequel rules in just a second. But one of the other prequel rules that I'll drop in here is, or at least not not necessarily a rule, but a sin that a lot of prequels commit is that kind of like pointless signposting um fan service moments and in yeah in the hobbit you've got a whole bunch of them one of the worst ones was when bilbo stabs a giant spider with the sword that we know will be named sting by the <laughs> yeah. time we get to lord of the rings and when he stabs the spider the spider goes ah it stings and bilbo goes hmm sting that's a good name and it's like yeah fucking we know it's we know it's we called, know it's a good name. <laughs> yeah, we know it's called Sting, but then also there's there are other like I guess the the main problem and the Hopper does this a lot as well is is treating stuff we already know like it's a plot twist. So actually the Gandalf subplot in the hobbit trilogy of him going and discovering that um sauron is coming back and that the you know that all that's going down is bad prequeling because we already know sauron comes back you know it's not it's it's showing it's showing how he came to realize this but the movie presents it like it's a plot twist Mm. yeah and that's kind of one of the inherent flaws with a prequel as well is that there's a a a tediousness to them because we know what's going to happen but yeah and we we asked again like we did last um last episode we asked people what's your favorite sequel this this time we asked what's your favorite prequel and we got a severe lack of replies compared to last week's. And that's yeah, because- and also like the the sort of web of replies is a lot smaller. Yeah, and that's because there just aren't as many prequels, and exactly. almost none of them are good. So before we go into it, shall we go over what the sequel rules are? Just to yeah, well, I was going to say like prequels so well. the clarification, and then we've also just got like these are bonus points, and we'll take them to account when yep. crowning a winner. Um, so it's if it's better or at least on par with the um, original. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I feel like it should be at least on par, yeah, or like within spitting distance of the cop quality, yeah. Um, and so the it, it lo- more it loses points if it's part of a cinematic universe, uh, if it changes genre or style from the original. Um, it's open for debate, but the original should be amazing as well. Mm-hmm. Or like, should be a really good solid film on its own. Yeah. Um, midquills will be judged case by case, but. It's not really. It's a different yeah, kettle of fish. This is this is a hard one. I I feel like we're going to. Here's what I'm predicting for this episode. I think we're going to have to uh, scale back on some of these sequel clarifications because there just aren't going to be enough prequels yeah. that qualify. Yeah, well, that, that's what I was saying. When it comes down to like deciding between a couple, we can look at these things. Um, yeah. So I, I yeah, I said not relying too much on fan service as well. Yeah. Like like you said, um, and. It should, and again, we can debate this, but whether or not it should stand alone or, you know, have to be part of a package. Yeah, because the problem with most prequels is that the logline for it is basically, have you ever wondered how X did, got, achieved, met, why? Well, this is how. And it's like, that's actually not a very good design because there's no tension. You know, we watch The Hobbit. We know Bilbo and Gandalf aren't going to die. And yeah. yet we see them in precarious situations where we're supposed to worry for them, but it's like we know that they're fine. So, mm. uh, all 
All right. Well, let's start the discussion with one that I think a lot of people are going to be at home thinking, and they also were at home thinking this last week. So we're going to throw to an audio clip um, from Edamon from the podcast Baboon Yodel. Hey, Richard and AJ. Very good to talk to you. Now, I just realized by listening to the sequel podcast that you guys have already talked about it, but I'm going to send the message anyway. Well, I say that uh, Godfather Part 2 is the best prequel as well as a sequel ever made. Most people might not agree with it, but um, I've got my reasons. Firstly, how Vito Corleone's beginnings and the establishment of the family, which is the prequel part, and his son Michael Corleone's ascent and difficulties in re-establishing his family's power, which is the sequel part, were beautifully woven in without any lull or haphazardness. Secondly, if we are focusing on the prequel part, uh, the beauty in the screenplay writing is evident in the actual nostalgia one feels when watching the beginnings of Vito Corleone. You can actually sense the good old days and bumpy present as the movie jumps between the two scenarios. I don't know if it's going to be played or not, but I love you guys. Keep the good work going. Bye. (laughs) Thank you, Ed. Thanks, Um Ed. Uh, did an alarm just go off in yours? Yeah, a fire alarm went off in my building. Uh, but it just went off that one time and it hasn't, um, normally it like goes, Beep! please evacuate the building. Beep! And it just did one. Wow. Beep! So, All right. I guess we just continue talking. <laughs> okay, dude, let's get the elephant in the room. Let's get the elephant out of the room. Uh, neither of us have seen The Godfather Part 2, god damn it. I've seen, I, I having, have seen the first one. I, so have I. I hate having to admit on our, like, you know, our film expert podcast when we haven't seen, like, one of the essential yeah. movies of all time. But no, neither of us have seen Godfather Part 2. However, I think, first of all, I don't think it should be in the running because it's only part prequel. Yeah. Um. So we we dodged a bullet there. But also, 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 I think a lot of Ed's points are very interesting. Uh, I just think that if the best, and, you know, the the Godfather Part 2 might be the best film that has prequel elements of it, but if the best prequel is only part prequel, then prequels are truly doomed, you know, if that's yeah, the best. Yeah, well, and also maybe that's the way to do a prequel as well. Or yeah, exactly. Like but um, uh, John Usher on Facebook also said that... Um, he put the Godfather part two up for contention, but he also said that he would define the prequel part of it as more flashback if he was being pressed. Mm, interesting. Okay. Wow, that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, yeah, and there is a difference, I would say, between prequel and flashback. Yeah, I'd say the main difference is flashbacks are when a character is thinking about the thing shown on screen. Yeah. Well, Vito Corleone dies in the first film, so it's not yeah. him flashing back to his- Yeah, yeah, but like, I know, but like that would- that would be generally how I would define them. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I do. I, I thought what Ed said was really interesting about how uh, it's nostalgic, which I think maybe is an element that that seems to be more necessary in prequels than sequels. Maybe just because of the definition of nostalgia as a concept. But he also talked about how it's woven in, and I think that is the big takeaway here is that a prequel needs to be woven in, and that's harder to do than with a sequel. Yeah. 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 Mm. 
All right, another big one that we got a lot of comments about, um, a lot of long comments about. Uh, well, we've got, uh, we got to read. We can read them out on this one because yeah. It's uh, so X Men First Class. Mm. So my Vincent Academia on Instagram wrote X Men First Class is an excellent prequel. Yes, it's a semi reboot, but it is a prequel since it is directly set before the originals via Days of Future Past. First Class was also just fresh blood injected into the franchise that went through X-Men United and Origins Wolverine. Um, Matthew Vaughan brought style and flair with his 60s interpretation of the team and reaffirmed how the strongest relationship in this franchise is between Charles and Eric. He builds up their friendship and want for the good of their people. Once that moment on the beach when the turn happens in Magneto states, I've been at the mercy of men just following orders for too long, never again. You see the pain in Charles and Eric's face because they know that after that day, they can never go back to being just reds. Nice. Uh, yeah, okay. This is this is yeah. somewhat of a of a of a um curveball to yeah. throw into Well the should we talk about the um the the reboot prequel thing? So it's not it's 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 not that first class isn't a prequel, I feel, and I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe I'm misremembering it. It's mm. more that every sequel to first class retcons first class as a soft reboot. If you just saw X-Men one to three and yeah. then you saw first class, I'd say it absolutely operates as a prequel. Yeah, and well, so that's that's the thing because we're talking about we, we mentioned like by design, how it should be watched and stuff like that. That I think first class definitely is a prequel, but then the sequels retroactively made it a reboot. So I think we can still count it as a yeah. prequel more than a reboot. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And also, if you think about it in the sense that different directors helmed the other films so yeah, matthew vaughan yeah. would have directed first class as a as a prequel yeah um and also uh max nunez cesar um wrote on facebook another interesting point about how um it's exactly how you do a proper prequel it's not just a story about how xavier got bald or crippled and how characters found their signature clothing cough cough solo um mm -hmm. it's a great story about prejudice unity revenge and friendship that happens to take place when xavier and magneto were young um, yeah so the best way to do a prequel is for it to be irrelevant that it's a prequel yeah well yeah no it's interesting because it does end with like him getting shot in the back which paralyzes him yeah um and it goes on to have some more um great points as well but i think yeah that's really important that it's not just like how how does he stop yes. walking you yeah. know although with i know i was the one who brought up the like the how how did x do y as a bad design but if why is a tragic thing then maybe a, a key point key component in making a prequel is the the tragedy of it right because okay i'm gonna pull out my uh year 12 drama knowledge here richard if you don't mind <laughs> and look like you're gonna take your headphones off and like do a scene for me <laughs> <laughs> no so when i was in year 12 i did a play uh for my drama class called educating rita and it's about a drama teacher who, no, an English teacher who teaches a, like, sort of a other side of the tracks woman about English. And mm. he, and why I decided to memorize these massive long lines about they were real smart and real, like, intelligent and, and intellectual. And I learned something from it. And one of the things they talk about in it is what tragedy actually means in terms of drama. And yeah. he talks about how a tragedy, especially in the Shakespearean sense, is not 
a tree falls on a man, right? That's tragic in real life, but it's not a tragedy (laughs) in the drama because tragedy of the drama is inevitable. So a tragedy in the drama would be someone says to the man, that tree's going to fall on you, and he goes and stands under the tree anyway, right? Right. So again, and Shakespeare's full of this, you know? like Yeah, well, it's like dramatic irony and stuff. Yep, so if- if we look at, at uh, X-Men First Class as an example of this, then it's we know that Charles Xavier is going to become paralyzed. We know that Magneto is going to become the bad guy. But we see them, and there's another prequel, which we'll talk about later, that does this as well. We we see them at opposite states at the beginning of the movie. And so looming over the whole movie is not a sense of like, Ugh, well, this isn't going to be what happens in the end. It's a sense of like, oh, no, how is this yeah. going to change? This is so tragic. So maybe maybe playing with that tension is the, is the alternate way of doing, because, you know, in, a, in an original film or a sequel, any of these characters could die right yeah but in a prequel we know they're going to live but if a prequel is set when a a paralyzed character could walk maybe the tension is around how does he become paralyzed because that's so sad totally and um the way it gets there is like because x-men first class is probably my favorite x-men film yeah um and the way it gets there is like very natural as well with Mm. the the deterioration of of their um friendship and the way i mean this isn't to do with its purity as a sequel but like the the it, it's a great story in its own right i guess is what i'm saying yeah. um and that the the motivations for the characters and eric's turn is very believable and yeah, justified yeah. All right, so we've actually got a voice message for this one uh you can't talk about prequels without talking about a little film franchise called Star Wars. You, so, you should be able to, though, shouldn't you? You should be able to talk about the yeah. best prequel without mentioning Star Wars. But <laughs> yeah. alas, they have some fans. What's up, Cult Popture listeners? It's Calvin from a podcast about something, and I'm not here with quite as hot a take this time on prequels. I'm going with the most quintessential of all prequels, uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, and, you know, this movie gets a lot of flack for, you know, bad dialogue or um, unnecessary CGI. But really, if you look at it, this movie does so many great things that are overlooked because of Jar Jar Binks or because an eight-year-old who's taken away from his family doesn't know how to talk to other people who are like these are these people he's looked up to, a, a woman who he thinks is beautiful and a Jedi Knight and he has no idea how to talk to them. Well, no shit, he doesn't know how to talk to them. How would you talk in that situation if you're an eight-year-old going through that? Uh, so I, I think Anakin gets shit on a lot and it's not always deserving. Uh, same with Jar Jar. You got to think if you're a 10-year-old or 11-year-old when this movie came out like I was – Jar Jar was pretty funny. Like, it's slapstick humor, but, like, the, this movie generally was aimed at children, and that's where you get Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, he was just there to kind of sell toys and, and be this funny, slapsticky guy, but at the same time, as an 11-year-old, I liked him. He was funny. On a on a brighter note of things that are actually good at, to adult viewers and children viewers, like, Darth Maul is an amazing character. Qui-Gon Jinn is an amazing character. Uh, a lot of the, the, like, the fighter jets and droids are super cool. And, you know, they built on this world that you didn't know all this stuff was out there before in the original trilogy. Uh, pod racing is fucking awesome. I would love to be pod racing. It, you know, it's probably not the safest thing, but still, pod racing is cool. And then, you know, my favorite part of uh, the, 
this movie and of the whole prequel trilogy and almost all of Star Wars is Duel of the Fates. Uh, the music played during the final lightsaber battle, which the lightsaber battles in the prequel trilogy are far and above better than what we got in the original trilogy just because they knew how to use that CGI a little bit better and it was great for it. But Duel of the Fates is just an amazing piece of music. Uh, plays in the final battle between Darth Maul, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan. And like I'll just be sitting sometimes at my desk and start humming Duel of the Fates and I can't stop myself. But again, thank you for listening to me rant about why uh, Episode 1 is actually good. Seriously, go watch it again. Take your, your film snob glasses off while you're watching it and just have fun because it's a fun movie and there's a lot to enjoy about it. Again, this is Calvin with a podcast about something. Be sure you check out a podcast about something on all of your favorite podcast apps. So that was Calvin from a podcast about something. Uh, once again, just pitching an opinion I couldn't disagree more with. <laughs> thing, of course, thank you so much for sending it, and we are entitled to your opinion. Uh, but I disagree with almost everything you said. Um, I don't think the CGI is better. I don't think the lightsaber battles are better. I don't think Jar Jar Binks is funny, among other things I don't <laughs> like about Star Wars. So um, Scott Curry on Facebook sort of gave an overarching thing for the this, the prequel trilogy as a whole so i'll read that out now cool um it is it has to come up at some point so i'll just throw it up in, in the ring now the star wars prequel trilogy i actually have a massive soft spot for these films despite their obviously many many flaws but looking past the ex- execution there are many interesting things to consider about the prequel trilogy firstly was it a story that needed to be told well not exactly, but it was absolutely an interesting story to tell. Secondly, did it expand the world of the original films? Absolutely. In fact, it did so to a pretty astonishing degree, and surely far more than any other prequel example out there. For better or worse, the world of Star Wars as audiences and fans understood it looked very different after the release of Episode One. And everything that has been released subsequent to the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars, Rebels, all the Disney films, etc., is directly defined and shaped by the revised template that the prequel films brought to the franchise. Mm. Yeah. No, I mean, he does have some good points. And I like, I do not like the Star Wars prequels. I am not one of those people who grew up with it and thinks that. Like, I, I know people who have said to me, like, oh, if they weren't Star Wars, people would love them. I disagree. I think they're bad movies. I think episode one and two especially, I think, are very bad movies. Three is some all right moments, but it's it's not um, great either. Kalal52 on Instagram thinks that The Phantom Menace (laughs) is actually the best prequel. He says it expanded the universe and gave us a new, unique story. But the best thing it did was establish Anakin as a hopeful, eager, and helpful character, enhancing the tragedy of Darth Vader, which is what we talked just talked yeah, about. Yeah, that's true. Um, this is where most prequels fall down because they're telling a past story. They can't have the character grow too much in a prequel or undermine the original film. Episode one doesn't do that. It builds on the original, giving us new perspective on the universe and the characters. It is let down by the following films because Anakin's arc turns sharply away from bite hope to sullenness, basically off screen between one and two. I think that is a good point. And I That's think a great point. it's yeah. really interesting as well that um, like the whole point of you, it's, you kind of can't do a prequel that has... Uh, that's like the main character from the original because they've already had a character arc. Yeah. And so it's boring to see like, how did they get to the person who needed to change in the events of the original? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a prequel that we'll talk about shortly that like, while it's got two leads, they have different, they both, one has a main arc in each film. 
Um, but I wouldn't say that like it, do, it does kind of switch main characters, but it's definitely a duo. But um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Who's, who left that comment that you just read? Sorry? Uh, that was Cal Al fifty two on Instagram. Cal Al fifty two. I agree with everything you've said. I think that is a a great uh, place to start your prequel from. A, especially if if it's a pre- like doing a prequel about a villain character and starting it with them being hopeful and good is again it's that tragedy thing. And I mean, I talked about how like oh no, how does uh, Charles Xavier get paralyzed? It's like well, Darth Vader's the zenith of that concept doesn't it like how does this happy-go-lucky child turn into darth vader so all of that yes i actually agree i think that's accurate however they are bad fucking movies so (laughs) like while the while the theory is good yeah i I will be dead before we crown phantom menace the best the the prequels on paper are like not are not inherently bad ideas like yeah. expanded the universe a lot. How did Darth the tragedy of how this young boy became Darth Vader is like all great, but and it it does explain a lot of stuff that is pertinent to the Star Wars universe. It explains a lot of stuff that isn't as well, but like you know, it, okay, it explains a lot of things, but they're not very good explanations. Like we get yeah, an explanation yeah. for the Force, and we're like, well, that kind of ruins the Force, and we get an explanation for the clones, and we're like, wait, so Boba Fett is. The clone, the clone, the stormtroopers. What's going on? You know, so it's it's so it's so. If the prequels were good, I'd be like, yeah, obviously they're the best prequels. <laughs> yeah. But it's because the execution is so poor that we must strike them off the list. So then, Richard, is the mission for this podcast to find a film that does what the Star Wars prequels try to do. But yeah. is a good for, and is that X Men First Class? <laughs> this is my next point. You know, is is that what that is? Um, well, uh, it's actually the Star Wars prequels are not the only Star Wars prequels, um, mm. and so I'm going to throw it to a little audio clip now. Oh shit! If I told you that I believe the best prequel is a Star Wars movie, you would probably tell me to get out of your office. But bear with me, because I'm not talking about episodes one, two, or three. I'm talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Rogue One did exactly what I believe a prequel should do. It expanded upon the already huge universe while managing not to change or colour the viewer's perception of the original movie in a negative way. All it did was add a layer of depth to the story. By not using the main characters, it managed to avoid the problems prequels often have, like not being true to the characters or bad recasting. It also introduced something completely new to the Star Wars franchise. And unbelievably, what it added to the franchise that has the word wars in the title was a war movie. But the most important thing it does is capture the feel of Star Wars. Something that the prequel trilogy failed to do at times. Rogue One, despite being a completely different kind of movie with completely different characters, is a Star Wars movie through and through. I'm Ronnie M. Spence from Dogcare Presents, by the way. I don't know if many plugs at the end or... We try and teach people things. It doesn't matter. Look, enjoy the rest of Cult Pop Show. Bye. <laughs> uh, thank you. That was Rory from uh, Dog Here uh, Presents, or Dog Here Network Presents, I think. Um, what a great uh, podcast oh, voice. What a great, yeah. What a great little tidbit. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think Rogue One definitely has to be in the conversation as well. I think uh, it was the, the prequel that no one was asking for, but... 
I think I I, I do want to say as well that I think um, some of the early drafts of this film are some of the best written things I've ever seen. <laughs> He's saying that because we talked to the writer of this film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, that's what I was saying. Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you were, you were, you were actually you were accidentally giving um, Chris White's a compliment. But um, no. I, well, I mean, it's true, though. What you're saying, despite being brown-nosing, isn't um, untrue. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm inclined to say this is a particularly pure prequel. Well, yeah, because he says about how it benefits from not using the characters, but that's also kind of yeah, yeah, takes away from it its d- prequel. It does benefit, but again, are we going to have to be lenient here? And is that how you do a good prequel? Yeah, it's like, just, if, like it's it's a world prequel, not a character. Yeah, prequel. yes, totally. Because the best thing about Rogue One is that the stakes are high. The characters can all die, and they do all die. Of course, they die. They were never going to get out of there, you know. Like, yeah. and it's 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 real good in that sense. And I think that yeah, I re- I really like that that it um it goes with different characters because of that and i think it yeah as as rory says it it evades a lot of pitfalls of prequels mm. of even the star wars prequel trilogy by doing that i i also think that this um i like i mean we said it's it's uh, points against it but i think this benefits from being uh, because you could watch it before or after like the mm. Star Wars prequels, if you watched them beforehand, it ruins Empire. Yeah, because you find out that Darth Vader's Luke's father. Whereas this one, it actually like enhances it because you get a scene of Darth Vader being really threatening. And so yeah. I, I think this one works really well both ways. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, being able to be watched at any point is a neutral. It's it's neither a yeah. detractor nor a yeah additioner what's a what's the opposite additive. of detract additive oh thank you no it's it's good it's good i think yeah mm. okay yep yeah. I, do you know what it is it's that is rogue one a prequel or is it a midquel because what you, it it came out did right, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. came it's, out it's after the prequel trilogies it came out, out after the prequel trilogy, so therefore, is it actually a sequel to the prequel trilogy? You know? Because yeah, like, it's, it's got Jimmy Smits in it. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it, it relates a lot more in terms of- No, that's not true. Oh, that's it's, got Leia it's, in it. It's, it's mid. It's a midquel. The, the Rogue One is the definition of a midquel. It's the best midquel. Yeah, it's the best one. <laughs> it's so better thanks, than Roy. Bambi You've too. given us the best midquel. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so on to another film franchise um this one is one i don't think i even really realized but i get no actually i guess i did but um so alien versus predator so isaac mount on instagram said this um <laughs> this should be good i think that's a pretty universally panned film but let's see what he says <laughs> he says okay i have two suggestions i'll get the tamer one out of the way first alien versus predator if you consider it a prequel to alien this movie is a classic action horror with some great deaths and a sinister feeling of claustrophobia throughout sure fair enough and then the second one is star wars episode one the phantom menace <laughs> nah, uh, God damn it. <laughs> this is his favorite growing up and holds a special place in his heart the cast and characters are wacky and weird and i love it despite all its flaws and possibly racist aliens honorable mention star wars rogue one 
So we've been talking um, a lot. We talked about this on the Spider-Man episode, and we just talked. We just recorded a Patreon episode before this, where we discussed it. How like if you rank a sca- uh, movies on a scale from ten to minus ten, right? And zero is something like The Amazing Spider-Man, where it's just boring, and Spider-Man Three is something like minus five, where it's so ridiculous that it's fun and silly. Yeah, The Phantom Menace is like the the problem with minus numbered films is that what? it's it's all it's all minus 10 well maybe not that bad but you know it's it's except all... for the pod racing scene which is like plus 10 do you reckon that's plus 10 i don't know it's just a real cool scene it is a um, cool scene i don't know if i like it enough to <laughs> yeah but what i actually i think the, the the problem with the phantom menace is that it's surprisingly zero <laughs> like, that, no that's a, sorry i forgot what I, my train of thought halfway through but that's what i was going to mean is that phantom menace is both of them and it lands at a zero because it's well, actually, what it, it lands it land it ascends this fucking scale because it is both silly and ridiculous and then stupid and boring at other points yeah <laughs> so like it, it becomes yeah, the, the, the for, for as silly and colorful of a movie as it is it's surprisingly not interesting yeah they start trade federations it's yeah. a kids movie. Stop taking it so seriously. Jar Jar Binks is for kids. We need to stop the trade federation. You know what I like. That's, yeah. that's the best criticism I ever heard of Phantom Menace. <laughs> is like you can't say it's a don't say it's a kids movie and then make it about bureaucracy. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. So moving on to uh, an interesting. Um, we're getting near the end of this. Um, to the um, an interesting subset of prequels that you might not even realise are prequels. So Ooh. Scott Corey again on Facebook suggested Indiana Jones as the Temple as <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Indiana Jones stars as the Temple of Doom, and this time he's brought his dad. <laughs> that's no, that's Last Crusade. Yeah, no, I was just referencing that poster that we saw that time. One well, time, AJ and I went to a poster shop and we saw this poster. It was just like a shot of Harrison Ford leaning on Sean Connery's <laughs> shoulder. And it's like, the man with the hat is back. And this time he's brought his dad. And it's like, what a horrible tagline. It's an, I think it was an Australian poster. And I just love the idea that over in Australia, Indiana Jones is referred to as the man with the hat. <laughs> like that's their nickname for him. Sort of like how like... um. I don't know. I've heard, I've heard like Pizza Hut is huge in India. Like Pizza Hut is like fancy, <laughs> like eating, you know, eating fancy in India mm. or something like that. It's one of those um, things. Do you know like um, Domino's is like the same price in the UK, but in pounds? So like Domino's would be like 10 bucks here, but it's like 10 pounds there. So it's like, you know, very expensive. Wow. But it's still the same like shitty. Pizza. I actually quite like Domino's. Anyway, I don't moving like Domino's. On. Domino's is the worst prequel. <laughs> Uh, one interesting example to consider is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I mean, as far as prequel goes, it's surely one of the best films. And my f- favorite, I find that up. And it is my personal favorite of all the Indies, and probably the purest example of the franchise in terms of what Lucas had in mind. That was a parenthesis. Um, mm. But it is a good. Is it a good prequel? Curiously, the film adds almost zero to the character or mythology of Indy and is instead remarkably airtight and standalone. The five-minute prologue of Last Crusade did far more on that front to expand the meta story. But that is also what I like about it. I mean, it really was a rather bizarre decision in the first place to make the film the follow-up a prequel, and the only reason I can think of is to justify the lack of Nazis. 
Anyway, great film and definitely a contender in my book. Oh, I, me and Scott just must have very different <laughs> ideas because I would say Temple of Doom, I feel like most people probably consider it the worst of the OG3. Mm. Um, and I think that, again, and like we are learning what makes a good prequel right yeah and, and like maybe it's to trick your audience into not realizing it's a prequel which we'll get to later on because i when when did you find out temple of doom was a prequel when i watched it when did you watch it when i was born have you seen temple of doom uh yeah i haven't seen the indiana jones films in you know Neither. since i was in high yeah. school kind of thing yeah. but um i I was. I, was I remember like, reading, like in high school, that it was actually yeah, a, a prequel. Yeah, same. Yeah. I remember being told when I was like fifteen that it was a prequel, and just being. Yeah, I like, think I was like fourteen. I, I must have been uh, two, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I it blew my mind. And you think about it, and um, while there's there's an argument that it's standalone, and so it is neither a good prequel nor a bad prequel, I would actually argue it's a bad prequel because we talked about this before that like at least at least um it's it's a cool movie but it's a bad prequel but at least with the phantom menace you start with darth vader as this happy-go-lucky kid and therefore the the drama comes from how does he turn from happy-go-lucky into space hitler whereas indiana jones is the hero and starts yeah and uh, it's already got real hitler in it yeah, it starts uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark as the hero, and then we go back to the prequels. And an important, this is what people always say when talking about Temple of Doom as a prequel, is that so the supernatural is not in Raiders of the Lost Ark till the very end. Like, there's not really anything supernatural in it. And they're always talking about how oh, it's you know the spirits of the of the Ark will kill you if you open it or whatever. Um, but Indy doesn't believe them until it actually starts happening, and that's what convinces him of the supernatural. And but in Temple of Doom, he sees like a fucking guy get his heart pulled out like magically through his <laughs> chest, and there's magic all through the Temple of Doom. So what kind of like if if, if anything, it reduces Indy's character in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark because it's like this dude just is in mass denial over like what he said seen a couple years earlier um with old short round and i remember the 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 love interest in that film was called willie that's her name um and so i think it's a bad prequel for those reasons because it it doesn't make sense and it's it's worse than just backtracking on his character development it ma- doesn't make it like doesn't make sense to this character development and it would if it were a sequel. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. What do you think? Well, yeah, I agree. <laughs> so fuck, fuck off. <laughs> um, fuck off. Um, so uh, Dot Patty on Instagram also suggested Final Destination 5. I'd love to talk about this. Uh, so said, I present for your consideration the, fi- the Final Destination, uh, which is actually the, the a different one. movie. Um <laughs> Uh, so it's finally session five, I believe he's referring to. Can't remember if you fellas liked it or not, but I really enjoy the fact that it's a secret prequel. Probably my joint a second favourite in the FD <laughs> franchise. And I probably enjoy it more than Rogue One, because he also suggested Rogue One. Right. Um, so, yeah. Final a che- a cheeky seeky preaky. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, or fire- like, Leah, so it's like, what's like a portmanteau of like secret prequel? Sequel. It's like a, it's a sequel. <laughs> um. 
so Final Destination 5 is my favorite Final Destination movie. Yeah. And I, th- I cool. think it's, I, and critically, it's it's rate, rated as such as well. Yeah, it's the only fresh rated one. <laughs> yeah. Now, <laughs> we are learning about what makes a good prequel. And yeah. is just a good prequel just a prequel that, 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 that hides it from you? <laughs> like, is that just the way to do it? Because, so if you haven't, spoilers for Final Destination 5, but it ends with the main characters having cheated death and then they get on a plane and then it's revealed that it's actually 2000 and the plane is the plane from Final Destination 1. And it's such a fucking sick plot twist. <laughs> you, <remember? laughs> you know, it's like I knew about it going in, which is disappointing, but yeah, like so. I I love, I think it was so great. And even even regardless of that, I think it's a good movie as well. I, I actually quite enjoyed the yeah, plot. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's still like, where's one of the coolest yeah. ones? Um, and I... I'm so at a loss here because this may in fact be the only prequel we talk about in this whole episode that I actually prefer to the original. Nah, maybe First Class actually. First Class and Final Destination 5 might be the only prequels I genuinely prefer to the the original films. Mm. Um, well, and- because it, the thing about Final Destination 5 is, Depending on how you look at it. So you've got either death is the character that it's prequelizing or it's like a world prequel. Yeah. Um, and But yeah, the fact that it's a secret and it's a plot twist. I mean, is that points away from it that you don't know that it's a sequel? That's until, what I'm saying. Like- but but I wonder if because the, the um, slate is so clean with good prequels that maybe we need to be a little desperate and, mm. and be like, well, this is the best we've got so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sweet. So we'll put that into, into the running. And uh, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes, or the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, uh, that's a prequel. So Clayton Hiku suggested this on Facebook, but didn't provide any further explanation. Uh, John Usher um, added to that and said, I agree with Clayton about the Planet of the Apes. I think these films reinvigorated a dead franchise in such a positive way. They were able to do it so that they removed all of the campy 70s sci fi. Uh, vibe and gave it a new life of its own the humanity that they instill in all the characters both human and ape is a true feat of storytelling and they are able to carry that through seamlessly for three movies each film in the prequel series is on par if not better than the preceding film and this is largely down to the cleverly structured episodic writing that takes the viewer on a full journey and manages manages to deliver a truly satisfying ending at its conclusion the world design creature design visual effects creature acting and human acting is all top quality they're all super rewatchable too i've seen the second one i've seen Maybe the first two i never got into the war but i I, I think i thought the second one was excellent and i've heard good things about the other three the other two sorry yeah um however so we have talked a couple i think we talked about this on our q a episode and it's kind of something i want to explore further and maybe a video or something about how we have the lord of the rings prequel trilogy the star wars prequel trilogy and the harry potter prequel series right and how they're all examples of prequels that are done in different ways but they're all bad so the star and we talked about how the star wars prequels are a an original prequel series to an original original series hmm. the um, Lord of the Rings is an adapted prequel series to an adapted um, original series, even though The Hobbit was written first. Um, the Hobbit book was written first. And uh, the Harry Potter prequels are a original prequel series to a adapted um, prequel or well, original Main series. series yeah. yeah. Um, so Planet of the Apes, 
well, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the, the Planet of the Apes prequels, they are a they're the same as the Harry Potter ones, right? Because they're a they're an, a, a created an, an original an original prequel series to an adapted. Not even a, no, it's, no, it's Star it's, Wars. It's Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, however, are the are Rise, Dawn, and War of the Planet of the Apes are they prequels or are they reboots? Yeah, it's it's tough to say because I can't imagine that they are expecting you to believe that that cheesy original what sixties Planet of the Apes movie is mm. is what happens chronologically, like not as we saw it happens chronologically to you know after war. Yeah, I know. I can. I mean, yeah, I can believe. It. Like, it's more just. Because, you know, obviously there's the big twist, spoiler alert for Planet of the Apes, <laughs> that um, it's, you know, it's Earth all along and it's, how did Earth get like this? Yeah. I think it's, I think it could chronologically happen. There's not, there's no reason to say it. It's doesn't. more, it's more that it almost feels like they need to remake Planet of the Apes to be in the same aesthetic and style as the mm. rise dawn war but uh, yeah i don't think it should necessarily be disqualified from conversation no but but it does feel more like it's a prequel to a collective understanding of a intellectual property and not a specific film itself you right, know okay. mm. sure. but yeah it's a good it's good it's good good points good good ideas um so and then we've got a bunch of sort of smaller ones um one underworld rise of the lichens um arielle ashley on facebook suggested this mm-hmm. um she says michael sheen is excellent and they thought it out pretty well didn't stray from the canon too much uh, cool. i can't comment but michael sheen is always excellent so that's points for that yeah and yeah and canon i guess is important and that's what something like indiana jones maybe adulterates by by ruining its character mm. development sure um dante pino suggested monsters university Mm-hmm. He said, I think Monsters University should definitely be up there contending for the first spot. It's such a good movie and it adds so much to Monsters, Inc. 100% agree. It's definitely not uh, as good a movie as Monsters, Inc. Because Monsters, Inc. is, you know, just fantastic. Um, but I think Monsters University is one of Pixar's most underrated films. Um, yeah. Because it's it does exactly what a prequel should do in, in that it actually, it's made to be watched second, but it makes the fil- the the original better. Yeah, and I think that's that's really important. And I love that Pixar is responsible for what I think is actually quite a revolutionary prequel. Mm. Because I can't think of another prequel that when you watch it, it re- and th- this is an important note for what I think maybe a good prequel should do, is that watching, you watch Monsters, Inc., you're like, that was a cool movie. You watch Monsters University and it recontextualizes Monsters, Inc., and I think that's super important. I think that the fact that it changes it so now, like, so what are some ways it recontextualizes it? Right? Uh, well, you- so the main thing I would say is that it um, it makes the ending of Monsters, Inc. a lot more earned. Yeah. Um, because it's, well, it makes it a lot more heartwarming because you have, um, it, 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 the whole film, I guess, is giving, giving your audience some, what they want, but not in the way they want it. And there's a few mm. examples of it. So yeah, Mike all his life has wanted to be a scarer, but he is just not up to it, kind of thing. And then at the end of Monsters Inc., he's now the best person at making these kids laugh. So he's managed to become the best at something. And Monsters University 
really fit into that for a couple of years and i think it's still going on as well in like kids movies where uh the messages are really realistic not just like if you if you set your mind to it you can achieve anything it's like you the the message of monsters inc is you can try your absolute hardest at something and you might just never be able to do it and that's okay you just need to find what you are good at and we don't see him find what he is good at until the end of monsters inc which we've already seen at this point you know you do kind of see what he is good at by the end of monsters university you see him he's he's a coach not a player yeah, essentially. yeah and um and also the whole thing of like it's um you, we know that like oh if they win and they do real well at all this they're going to get to work at monsters inc and then it's like okay boring we know that this is how this is going to play out because we've seen them work at monsters inc but then they actually get there not in the way you'd think they start in the mail room and they yeah. manage to get internships and then they build their way up and um yeah and also i don't think a lot of people are gonna be like oh but it messes with the canon because there's the bit in monsters inc where uh mike says to sally you've been jealous of my looks since the fourth grade and that's so bullshit that's not even an argument it's just stupid um people say shit that isn't factually accurate all the time that that could just be an expression he's just exaggerating for effect it's not out of character for mike to say something like that i think that's what pixar have said is that in in monsters canon yeah it's a you've been jealous of me since the fourth grade is an expression um yeah man and it's, it's got it's got that i mean everything you've just described is that darth vader paralyzed professor x quality that tragedy and there is an element of tragedy to monsters yeah University. because because it's it's we start the movie saying mike wants to be a scarer but we know he we not. know it doesn't happen and he wants mm. it so bad um yeah so i yeah this is this is such a great prequel this is the opposite of indiana jones where it's a great prequel but in terms of how it is as a movie it's not as good as monsters inc you know what i mean i don't want to say if i was being harsh i'd be like it's a bad movie but a great prequel but it's not a bad movie it's Mm -hmm. a good movie it's just not as good as monsters inc um and so yeah i think there's definitely a discussion there for for monsters university being the best prequel at least in in terms of it's the first prequel we've talked about that actually brings new ideas to the table of what a prequel should do hmm and that's changed the original, maybe, or yeah, recontextualized stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So, and the way to the finish line, uh, Ben Close uh, left on Facebook, left a few interesting thoughts, just kind of rattling off a couple. Um, so he said, his highest rated prequel on Letterboxd is Captain Marvel. But while I love that movie, if anything, its prequelness bogs it down more than enhances it. So it's uh, a part of the cinematic universe. So yeah, and also yeah, like like he says, the the, the prequel elements are what kind of you know frustrates about it uh he said i would almost say bumblebee but even that doesn't feel like it's in the same canon as the other movies um bumblebee's an interesting one because it was a prequel until it did real well and now they've announced it's a reboot (laughs) but then also they're gonna make a sequel to the last night or something like that yeah it's Uh, um fuck fuck transformers canon yeah but bumblebee is such a great movie yeah um and then fantastic beasts and where to find them is a great prequel simply from a world building point of view it captures the wonderful feeling of the hp films uh but from a narrative from a narrative perspective especially when you include crimes of grindelwald it's a bit of a letdown yeah crimes no yeah crimes of grindelwald's real bad fantastic beasts i quite like but i i don't like it enough to be like oh it's in the running it's just such an okay movie i remember i remember when um 
in 2000, you know how every movie was bad in 2016? Yeah. I remember being like, Rogue One is the best, like, big blockbuster of the year. Then you go to the middle of the scale and it's Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And then everything else is after that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, if Fantastic Beasts is at 50% and Rogue One is at 100, Hmm. you know what I mean? So Although although we got Civil War and Ragnarok. I, I, of course, exclude... We didn't no. get Ragnarok. That was 2017. 2017. So, no, what was uh, it was Civil War. Doctor Strange. I, of course, exclude Marvel from these conversations because- Because, of course, they're good. It's Marvel. Maybe I do like Rogue One more than Civil War or Doctor Strange. Yeah, I certainly like it more I think than, than Doctor Strange. Um, definitely, they're better than uh, Fantastic Beasts. Of course. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Apes trilogy, but that stands so far out on its own. I didn't even realize it was a prequel until the most recent one came out. That's really- weird that you didn't know that <laughs> have you have you just never heard of planet of the apes yeah uh he says and puss in boots isn't a bad movie but it isn't exactly a prequel to shrek yep puss in boots is a stone cold spin-off yeah like yeah. that the when puss in boots is set is irrelevant to the to shrek yeah it's also like it seems like a floating timeline floating yeah. canon kind of thing because it doesn't really take place in, in relation to Shrek at all. Uh, he says, I might have to give up and uh, trying and conclude that there are simply no good and pure prequel films in existence. Yeah, because I feel like the purest we've, the, the, the midpoint of pure and best we've got to is first class, but its purity is quite, it's like yeah. at, at odds with, you know, like, <laughs> like everything that's going to make it impure is surrounding it. It's just, if you watch it as a standalone thing, you could argue yeah. that it's got purity. But even though they like recast characters from other X-Men movies and, and stuff. Yeah. So even that. Um, so uh, other suggestions. Um, someone said these are uh, other things. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, fuck off. The what are you game. talking about? Oh, okay. All right, <laughs> also now we're getting somewhere. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Not the movie, but the PS3 slash Xbox 360 game. Not the Wii one because that was crap. It has a lot of issues that the movie does plot-wise, but by adding high levels of violence, a Days of Future Past style framing device, God of War gameplay, comic costumes, and regeneration, it's the definitive way to experience Origins if you really have to. X-Men First Class and Days of Future Past are fine too, but as an X-Men comics fan, I struggle to turn my nerd brain off and enjoy the Fox X-Men films, even though I can can appreciate elements of them. Sorry for the ranting. Hope this made the cut. If not, feel free to awkwardly force it in next episode. Cheers, lads. Keep up the good work. Both me and the girlfriend love your shows. So that was from Dot Patty on Instagram as well. Um, It's funny that he mentions Days of Future Past because I'm like, don't even mention... That is that is that is like the Godfather Part Two, like that is <laughs> yeah, both prequel and sequel. Uh, but that I think, yeah, because X Men Origins Wolverine, the game, I've heard really good things about. It. Apparently, it's a lot closer to how the movie was going to be when it was like they were talking about an R rating, so it's a lot more violent, mm-hmm. and it's also just a really fun game. And so it's like maybe X Men Origins Wolverine, the game, is the prequel to X Men that that we deserve. <laughs> Yeah, at, at least sure. the, the 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 Wolverine origin story. And I mean, Wolverine is the main character of X Men, so yeah. that would. So if, it's, if, it's if, almost a pure prequel. The fact if, that it's changed mediums. <laughs> yeah, if X Men Origins Wolverine was a good movie, it'd be the best prequel. Mm. Although, is X Men a cinematic universe? I think it became one, but I don't think it was at that point. Yeah. Uh, all right, and lastly, we've got um, a TV suggestion as well, and we'll throw to an audio clip for that one. 
Hey guys, it's Craig here. Um, I've got a couple of TV-related prequels for you. Um, the first one is Better Call Saul, the prequel to Breaking Bad. Um, I think it's an incredible show in its own right, and I think it was a wise decision to um, focus on more peripheral characters to expand the world of Breaking Bad, rather than just looking at you know what happened to Walt before the events of Breaking Bad, or what happened to Jesse. Um, I think it was the right decision to go with um, focusing on Saul and some of those other um, characters in the cartels, for instance. Um, the second one that I've got is the prequel film Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which became a prequel to um, the Twin Peaks original show. Um, it focuses on the last seven days of Laura Palmer, the character who was um, famously found dead in the in the first scene of the, of the original run. Um, and sort of explored what happened to her in her last um, week on Earth. Um, it is very, very dark um, compared to some of the lighthearted quirkiness that a lot of people really liked about the original show. Just It was famously hated when it came out, um, but it's since gone on to be sort of reappraised and is now regarded, you know, at least within David Lynch fandom, to be a masterpiece. Um, I think it's incredible. Um, Twin Peaks is my favourite piece of media of all time. Um, and I'd encourage anyone that's ever heard anything about it but hasn't seen it to definitely check it out. Um, I'd suggest watching the original run first. Try and avoid spoilers because once you find out who the killer is, it's quite a, it's quite a big deal. Um, watch Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me and that will help you try and at least attempt to decipher um, Twin Peaks The Return, which came out in 2017. Anyways, peace. See ya. Yeah, okay. So this, these are, I think... What I like about these is that they they both kind of don't count, but in really interesting interesting ways yeah. for for our movie prequel discussion. Because Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me is a prequel to a TV show, and Better Call Saul is a prequel TV show to another TV show, but it also straddles the line of spin off. Though it probably is Better Call Saul is probably more prequel than spin off. I think. Mm. You know, because it has a, it expands the Breaking Bad universe more than just focusing yeah. on. It also plays um, one thing that I really like that Better Call Saul does is how it introduces these characters that we know aren't around by Breaking Bad. Yeah, and so it's like almost putting them the the, the tragedy thing of they're constantly in danger because we know that for some reason, whether they're alive or dead or incapacitated in some way, they they aren't in what we saw of Saul's life by the time we yeah. get to Breaking Bad. Yeah. And I think uh, Better Call Saul's also part sequel technically as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, what I think is the interesting conversation about Better Call Saul is that it's such an anomaly in terms of the prequel discussion because it actually does quite a lot of um, – Sting, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'll call the sword Sting or Han Solo getting his blaster. It does quite a lot of that. Like you find out why Saul wears colourful suits, you know, and Breaking mm. Bad. But it does it in a – I still like it. And I think because to with the suits thing specifically, it's like it justifies it plot-wise why you need to know it because it starts out with him – um, being wearing normal suits, and I think you start with the implication that Saul is um, quite a respectable person, whereas in Breaking Bad he's quite a ridiculous guy, and that's why he wears the suits. And so you see him wear the colourful suits in Better Call Saul when he's trying to, like, I think he's trying to get fired or he's trying to come mm -hmm. off as a crooked lawyer for some reason, and maybe that's a recontextualising thing. Maybe it recontextualises Saul, so you see that in Breaking Bad he actually was 
putting it on a bit and he wasn't as ridiculous as he was um mm. but you, yeah you have the tragedy as you said you have the tragedy of the fact that saul starts it out as like a relatively honest guy and then by better call saul he's pretty crooked uh by, by mm. breaking bad he's better he's pretty crooked um all of these things are great i think i would like to see how it ends before i yeah definitely for sure say anything else um, um because it's rumored to catch up at some point as well and then which would turn it to a mid call yeah and it's also a, a tv show and it feels like it's unfair to judge it next to all these other prequels yeah uh, the twin peaks firewalk with me uh it really falls down in the purity department it's because it's uh they recast a major character and it's so <laughs> distracting it's insane how distracting it is um and it is kind of like it's kind of the best execution I've seen of the how X did Y structure we talked about because yeah. you aren't surprised by how she dies, but it's more seeing it as quite disturbing. Right. So it's intriguing, but it's not really revealing any new information. But then uh, the return, as Craig said in his voice clip, it does the the return which is season three essentially of twin peaks it does rely on firewalk with me quite a lot so a lot of the context becomes is retroactively made relevant by season three is that recast main character do they appear in the return no neither no. version of neither actress no. return returns in the return um all right sorry if that's a, a vague spoiler for the return then that character doesn't return but all right now it's finally time to crown a winner so i think that our best options and agree or disagree with me are x-men first class and monsters university yeah i would say um final nation five is final my scooby-doo yep. 2 monsters unleashed of this episode to throw so, in there uh, i think yeah. it's between those three um and the ooh. best movie of those three is x-men first, first class yes yeah, so that's interesting so the best movie is x-men first class the purest prequel is monsters university and the but the one that utilizes it being a prequel the best is finally station five no 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 it doesn't because i'd say monsters inc does it better but finally station five is so distinctly better than the thing it's being a prequel yeah for. yeah yeah whereas x-men first class you there's an argument that x-men is as good yeah so, uh, should we just we'll crown those three? <laughs> I I think it's got to go to first class. I think it's the perfect amalgamation of everything. So we're doing. Cool. We Except did it. it's so close to not being pure. Ah, oh, there isn't a good prequel. There isn't a perfect prequel. It's the yeah. closest we've got like, is if, first if class. Monsters University was as good as or better than Monsters Inc. It would be that hands down. Yeah, exactly. That's how close this is, guys. Mm. <laughs> like if it was like Toy Story two or three level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, cool. So that is the best prequel discussion. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, SoundCloud. No, not don't. Don't go to SoundCloud. Go to Acast, um, <laughs> iTunes. Uh, you can email us at copoptionmedia at gmail.com. Uh, next week on the show, we're going to be uh, discussing the I Know What You Did Last Summer trilogy. And then the week after that, we are going to be doing the were the most disappointing films of 2019 so far mm. so we're going to split that up this year it's hard to believe it's been half a year since yeah. we did the most disappointing of 2018 wow. and also um after i know you did last summer we'll be um doing a patreon voted mm. film franchise so if you want to tell us what films we should watch head along to our patreon for as little as one dollar you can suggest and vote 
on a film franchise for us to cover after uh, I don't did last summer. Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, and maybe I I would love to keep doing this series of what's the best <laughs> movie sequel format, you know. So maybe we'll pick it up when we have nothing else, no no better ideas, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. So and look we'll, out for that in just over a month. <laughs> you know, like what's what's the best midquel? What's the best spinoff? What's the best reboot? Feels like the next mm. most or remake feels yeah. like the most na- natural place to take it next. Cool. Bye. Bye. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.